0: Welcome to Happy Class. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm a former special ed teacher turned behavior coach with a passion for teacher well-being. In this class, we believe that all educators are humans first and teachers second. We will be sitting down with educators from all walks of life for some real talk about balance, joy, and what makes us who we are. If you want to be your best self inside the classroom, you have to be your best self outside the classroom first. Today's class is in session. Hi everyone, this is Jenny, your host at Happy Class. I am really, really excited today because I have a friend with me, Laura Pierce, and Laura and I are tackling a bit of a more like real life topic, right? We've talked before on happy class about how it's not about everything being good or everything being happy or the toxic positivity or any of that sort of stuff, but rather how can we make the most even of those difficult situations? And so we're talking a little bit about some hard stuff today, but I think it's going to be really good. Before we dive into it though, I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about Lara for those of you who might not know her. So Lara is a mom of three girls. She really loves frogs and gardening and she actually used to do competitive jump roping, which is really neat. Like we could almost do a whole episode on some of those hobbies too. Um, But she does have her master's in special education and she is a BCBA. Her area of expertise is supporting students with emotional and behavioral disturbances and their teachers so she's been a bcba for eight years but she's been working specifically with that population of students for about 14 years so we definitely have some connections there laura Um, she recently had to stop working though due to chronic illness and so that's what we're going to be talking about today and laura has done an amazing job of finding joy by sharing her journey with chronic illness on social media. You can find her at My Fierce Pierce Life and on Instagram, right? Yep, and oh, on TikTok. Oh, and TikTok too. See, I'm not a TikTok girl. I feel like I should be. Like, I feel like it would lend really well to my style, but I'm not on there yet, but I will make yeah. sure that that's in the show notes. But that's where you share a lot of this stuff um, and share a lot of your journey. So let's talk a little bit about defining chronic illness, because I'm still new to the world myself of chronic illness as somebody who's dealing with recovery from a head injury and post concussion syndrome and all those things. Um, And it's I think it's a really broad term. And a lot of people might be listening to this and thinking, well, chronic illness doesn't apply to me. Chronic illness isn't something that I deal with or the people I know or love deal with. When in reality, there's a big chance that there is. So like, how do you kind of define chronic illness and what that term has come to mean for you in your life?
1: Yeah, I think that for a long time, I felt like it didn't apply to me as well, Yeah, that I wasn't sick enough or it wasn't a big of an impact for me to be able to own that word. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, I've been sick for over 15 years Oof. and searching for answers for 15 years. And in the, in the time span of the last six months, I finally found some solid answers Um, and it's provided a big relief. But in, in sharing my journey about chronic illness, there are so many people out there that relate to my content, but don't identify as chronically ill. Hmm. And I think that allowing people to see that their struggles matter too, and that what they're going through, and for me, chronic means like forever, like it's ongoing, this thing, that time span of it is a long time mm-hmm. and illness and illness doesn't have to be visible, right? Yes. So a lot of the advocacy that I do is around invisible illness because mm-hmm. there are many, 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 many people in my life for a long period of time that never knew I was sick, never knew what I was struggling with always comment oh you look so good you must be doing great and i was like yeah i can put on concealer and makeup right and present myself in a certain way yeah but i'm still struggling right yeah so just because you can't it doesn't mean that it's not going on and so for chronic illness i think that many people can um i'm giving you all permission right i don't <laughs> you don't need my permission to own it but sometimes yeah. it takes another person to be like yeah you you are chronically ill your struggles do matter Mm. and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to look a certain way right yeah similarly that we talk about autism is that there's no one look for autism as well as there's a huge spectrum of different areas that are challenging for somebody Mm -hmm. same with chronic illness like i may not have any mobility issues but i have issues with cognition or I may have issues with you know, um, certain bodily functions that are difficult for me, but I am not having cognitive issues. So it just, um, chronic illness can be so many things. And I think that owning and supporting yourself in what you're going through often can be really healing.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I totally relate to what you were saying about invisible illness, which, I mean my my experience with chronic illness is is different from yours as everybody's is unique but I'm someone who experienced a head injury like there was a specific event and I have been chronically ill since then um the symptoms my medical symptoms that have occurred from that have impacted my daily functioning for over a year and a half at this point um but it took me a long time to realize that like oh that's that is chronic illness <laughs> Right. And especially that invisibility part, and sometimes even taking on the invisibility part, like myself, like I look in the mirror and I don't see anything different. Am I really that sick? Am I really struggling as much as I think I am? And it makes it so, so misunderstood. I think from people on the outside, um, do you, are you comfortable sharing with like what your specific diagnoses that you have found? I know you said they're pretty recent in the past, like six months, right?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting journey that I've gone through. My team of doctors and my neurologists for almost 10 years thought that I had um, multiple sclerosis Okay, and my brain scan. So my, my symptoms lined up with neurological disease. And my brain scans had minimal scarring. So sclerosis means scars. Mm -hmm. And we thought over the years that my brain scans would catch up with what my symptoms were doing. And they have like, I have had more scarring in my brain, but it is not, um, as pervasive or not in the patterns that show up in MS. And Hmm. so while it was great to have something to hold like a placeholder kind of for a long time and to receive better care because the team was kind of rallied around this um diagnosis now i have found um with my doctors that i have dysautonomia so it is a dysfunction of your autonomic nervous system Mm -hmm. and you as someone who works in behavior will understand that your autonomic nervous system is the stuff that happens without you thinking. Yep. So your heart rate, your breathing, um, your pupil dilation, your digestion, all of these things happen without you having to tell your body to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, in my body, it the message gets messed up when mm-hmm. it's sent. Mm-hmm. And so my digestion can just stop working. And so, because it is multi-systemic, like multiple parts of my body, the health system is designed piecemeal. Yes. You have a GI doctor, you have a neurologist, you have an eye doctor, you have, you know, it's all separate. Mm -hmm. And so as I was going through my journey, I'm seeing all these different people. And there wasn't really one that said, oh, all of this goes together and it fits together. It's all caused by one thing. That's always what I thought is that it was, there's one thing going on. It malfunctions Mm -hmm. and it is also dynamic. So Mm. on one day I could function fairly well and things could be going okay. And the next day, right, I could have difficulty with digestion, with my heart rate skyrocketing and my pupils not dilating the way that they should in the environment. So my Mm. vision changes sometimes day which is really weird
0: (laughs) yeah yeah what's really interesting is that as you're sharing about this there's a lot of um similarities to my own experience with post-concussion syndrome because people don't realize that like if there's an issue with your brain it literally affects everything else and like it's a different source for each of us but um the impact is so overarching. Um, That's amazing that they were able to narrow that down to figure out what it is that is causing that wide variety of experiences for you.
1: I give credit to social media
0: because
1: I did not know about dysautonomia. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I have POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Okay. I say dysautonomia more often because POTS, people often think that you have to faint, which I don't, Mm -hmm. um, it's like people call it like the fainting disease yeah. and that it only affects your heart rate. When in reality, when I say dysautonomia, I think it's better to, um, conceptualize that it is a whole body system issue.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's
1: why I say that more than I say POTS. Yeah. So I actually found out more information from social media, from Instagram and TikTok about this thing called dysautonomia and POTS, and I started tracking my heart rate yeah. um, in doing different things because I learned about it. And I was like, oh, I wonder if my heart does weird stuff like that because mm-hmm. I have all the symptoms. I feel like crap. I have terrible fatigue and um, I'm able to do something sometimes, but then I pay for it for two or three days afterwards. Yeah. So I started tracking my heart rate and asking my husband, who's a normal person, right?
0: <laughs> Typical. <laughs> Comparing to him. Like, yeah.
1: yeah <laughs> okay. uh, able-bodied, yes. all of the other things that we say. Yeah. Um, yeah. I asked him, I'm like, so when you take a shower, does your heart rate like skyrocket to like 170, 180? He's like, yeah, no, that's not normal. And I was like, well, in tracking, it, it happens every time yeah. we always wondered why I would have your stomach cramping and feel terrible after my showers. Hmm, Um, and now I know there's so much validation that comes from finding this out. Yeah, for sure. Also like when I'm not doing well, like when my POTS is flaring, going up the stairs, my heart rate will jump, Hmm. just skyrocket just from walking up stairs. And then other times when, um, I feel like my illness is kind of under control. I can go on a six mile hike.
0: Yeah. That's why And
1: for the last year and a half, I have been in a flare basically. Yeah. Um, but I would say over the 15 years, it would kind of, there were times where it was worse and times where it was a lot better. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of um, rode the waves of those yeah. without knowing exactly what was going on or how to feel better other than trial and error of what I had learned over the years.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really good thing to kind of remember, because I know you're not working right now. You took a step back. But you did work with this. You were in schools and classrooms with this. um, Very Mm -hmm. much a part of your life for a really long time, right?
1: Almost 12 years, I would say. Yeah. Of navigating working at the same time as being chronically ill. Wow. Um, and then, and then having children,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, yes. And so I think there's this idea that like, you're only chronically ill or you're only disabled or you're only whatever, if you can't work, right. But it was in your experience. It sounds like it's very much like you were pushing through for a really long time. I know of some other people who have similar type of um, chronic illnesses to you that, you know, they can still work or they can still work most of the time and take time off when they have flare ups and things like that. Um, That it's possible to have a chronic illness and still almost appear and go about normal activities in a way that other people Think that you're normal you might be able to hold a job you might not be able to hold a job and that all of that is is under this umbrella
1: yeah and i think that the term invisible disability mm-hmm. right is so important because you cannot tell or assess just by looking at someone like you or yeah. like me yeah that we are chronically ill and to the extent that it affects us. Right. And so I think that it's difficult for people to understand something they cannot see
0: very much. And I will
1: say that when I started tracking my heart rate and showing my husband, my data Mm
0: -hmm. and my
1: statistics around like how high my heart rate would go for certain things, even just how much, um, my body would have to do just to stand. Yeah that his understanding and um, I think just the way that he was able to understand what I was going through because he had something visual to represent it. Yeah. And prior to that, it was just me saying, I feel like garbage today, (laughs)
0: you know? And without going down a total major rabbit hole, which I know us with our background in AVA could probably do for quite some time, what's interesting is that I did something sort of similar with my symptoms in that, you know, post concussion syndrome basically means that you have experienced a concussion and typically a concussion resolves within about 14 days. But in post concussion syndrome, mm-hmm. those symptoms continue on for an extended period of time. Um, and it can get worse with subsequent concussions. And I have had multiple pretty significant ones. And one thing that really helped me with my medical team was taking those symptoms. It's things like dizziness, headache, fatigue, vision difficulty, um, all those types of things, and I would rate them on a scale of one to 10. Periodically throughout my day and before and after different activities, so that when I would go to doctor's appointments or even with my husband or my family or my friends, I'd be like, Look, I was at a two, then I looked at a computer for five minutes and now I'm at a seven. <laughs> and that yeah. data really helps, I think, validate, but also advocate with medical providers and with the people in your life. So, I mean, Again, we could go down a whole rabbit hole of how you can collect data on yourself and use that to advocate for yourself and kind of put those observable, measurable like words to your symptoms and experiences. But that could be its own whole <laughs> own whole thing. Um It could. I will I'll say one thing about it though. Yeah. That if you are
1: discussing or showing a doctor around a symptom that is not present when you are in the office,
0: Mm.
1: I recommend taking a picture or taking a video and sharing it with them. That's because that is one of the reasons I was able to get my diagnosis is because I had a video of, because when I was in the office doing, there's a a tilt table test, like a poor man's test, Mm -hmm. where they take your blood pressure and heart rate when you're laying down, when you're sitting, and then when you're standing. And when I was in the office, my stats did not show up as a would be qualified as diagnosis. Hmm. And so I was like, I pulled out my phone and I was like, watch this video, watch this video, look at this graph, look at this graph. And I showed my cardiologist and he was like, oh yeah, we're gonna get you like an official tilt table test. And then that confirmed my diagnosis, but it is so frustrating to go to the doctor not have any of the symptoms of the things you're talking about and then being like oh well i pushed on your stomach and it was fine and like Mm -hmm. well it was rock hard 36 hours ago you know and so if you have visual evidence or data that can be life-changing yeah
0: I really yeah. think when it comes to sharing that information with your doctors, like it just shows that you're your own vi- biggest advocate, right? You know yourself best, you know your own body best. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talked about social media and how that was kind of how you learned more about um, just what is now your diagnosis and knew how to advocate for that with your doctors. And now you're going on social media yourself and sharing your own advocacy journey. Can you tell us how you kind of use social media to either cope with for yourself or advocate for others when it connects with chronic illness?
1: For sure. So my account actually started as a wavy hair account. <laughs> <laughs> um, I discovered that I had wavy hair and how to take care of it. And then it when I was home and not working anymore, sharing about my experience and what was happening, um, was a creative outlet. Mm-hmm. So I'm a really creative person. I like to create things. I like to build things and physically right now that is not as accessible for me, yeah. but creating cool videos, um, hearing different songs and relating that to what my chronic illness experience is like, I have a, an ideas notes page in my phone that is like, Forever long, like all of these things that I'll be like, Oh, I'll hear a song. I'm like, Ooh, what's that one? Like that line makes me think of this. And, um, I think that the best part about it that I find so fulfilling and sparks joy for me is Mm -hmm. when people say, I see myself in that. Mm -hmm. And now I don't feel so. Yeah. Cause having a chronic illness or being ill, especially invisible illness is so isolating and can feel so you can feel so alone during that
0: experience especially if you're not well enough to leave the house right like especially when leaving the house or going out even if it's like grocery shopping or spending time with friends when that stuff just isn't possible that makes it that much more isolating in addition to the fact that people just don't understand
1: yep And so social media connected me with some people who understood me. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: for me as a person, I will say that sharing on a public forum about my disability and what I'm going through is a privilege. Yeah. So I know that I am in a very privileged place and that not everyone has the safety or the financial stability or you know um i'm in a place where if there's judgment or questioning of what i'm going through that i have the strength and the support of my family Mm -hmm. so that that is not something i'm worried about but i just want people to know that my expectation is not that other people share all the time because i just know that i i have this like fortunate place to be in where i can share yeah. Um, and so I decided I was going to, and once I started sharing, I was like, you know what? <laughs> Cause I had rectopexy surgery in January, which is like where they pull your rectum up and like yeah. lengthen it. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, bowel movements and elimination. And I grew up in a family that was like, you do not talk about any of that mm-hmm. stuff. It is not okay. It's not socially like proper. And so I was like, you know what? But there's so many women who are suffering alone with this same experience and also have not talked to their doctor because they think it's their normal, Mm -hmm. right? Or they're not sure if this is really something that they should um, ask about for their doctor. Right. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to share about all this stuff in a way that I'm comfortable. Um, And I had a friend text me like, Three or four weeks ago, she's like, "You'll be really proud of me, Laura." <laughs> I mentioned to my husband that I was having difficulty with um, bowel movements, and he convinced me to go to the doctor along with your encouragement. And she's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get help," That's and awesome. uh, she's already feeling better. And I was like, good for you. She's like, but I only said it because you said it was okay to talk about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of the Brene Brown quote that says vulnerability builds connection, right? That when we share those things that are, they might be taboo or they might be like, why are you talking about this? But that's how we find that common humanity, right? And so I really, really love that you do that. So what does that community like that online community um, look like for you and kind of provide for you uh, when you are at home and when you are on social media?
1: Well, you hit on it earlier when I was first, um, I had a, we'll call it a Botox injury, but it is so many things that happened at the same time, but I did get Botox injections. And then a week and a half later, um, my whole trapezius was paralyzed and I couldn't lift this shoulder. I couldn't reach behind my back. I couldn't turn my neck. Mm -hmm. A lot of things happened. Um, obviously I was suffering before that, because that's why I needed to have the Botox. Right. Um, but the, the, Thing that happened after is called parsonage turner syndrome is where this kind of whole area just doesn't work anymore so like your
0: like right shoulder
1: right shoulder neck area gotcha um and i worked i'll give you this little story first and then i'll go into what you asked um, <laughs> i i kept working oh so wow. i was working as a behavior analyst, as I was becoming paralyzed and I was having difficulty in the horrific pain I was having in the back of my head, <sighs> I almost couldn't think. And you'll relate to this, I think, on how much educators give, but on my way home from work every day, I would be driving and just in terrible pain, telling myself, okay, I'll take leave if I end up in the emergency room.
0: Hmm.
1: I'll take leave if I can't walk tomorrow. Yeah. I'll take leave if blah, blah, blah. Right. So yeah. fill in the blank. I think Qualifying I remember fine. Like, oh, things so much worse Yeah. before I would take leave from work. Yeah. And I got to the point where I couldn't think, and I couldn't hold my head up for longer than five minutes without like everything, just like being like, no, you have to lay down. <sighs> um, and so I, I did end up taking leave and I, i made the decision i think i just i cried and cried and cried and cried yeah for a lot of reasons like relief because i was like oh my gosh i don't have to push Mm -hmm. anymore um i felt guilty yeah i felt like i was abandoning ship on something that i was responsible for Mm -hmm. i had so many projects like in the works in the middle and so i tried to finish them the day before i took leave but i couldn't think and I had to hold my own head up, like <laughs> with my arm.
0: Yeah. And
1: so I was grieving at the same time as I was like, okay, this is what I need to do. Yeah. And it took me a couple of days, I think to fully process all of that, but there's no way that I could have continued working. And I am so thankful that I took leave mm-hmm. and I am extra thankful that I'm modeling for my children that taking care of yourself is the most important thing
0: yeah so yeah no i very much love that and i totally relate to the grief that comes along with stepping away and Mm -hmm. the relationships that might be lost through that the ways that you feel like you were saying like abandoning ship you feel like you're dropping the ball like you should be able to just push Mm -hmm. through it and you try and you just literally can't and some people understand that and some people don't and that can make it harder at times um but finding the people who do understand oftentimes in my experience too that has come through the internet it has come through like support yep. groups on facebook and things like that of okay these are people who get it and okay i might be losing my coworkers or i might be losing some relationships but the internet has given us a really powerful space to find that new community and new connection with others.
1: And that's how you and I found each other. Yeah. Pretty much.
0: Yeah. I think <laughs> I mean, we initially connected over our love of working with EBD students and both having yeah. like I think you were already BCBA at that time and I was like just starting my yeah. ABA program and you took your leave right around the time I got my injury. Yeah. And I remember us just kind of bonding via DMs on Instagram about, like, it's been really, really hard this week. Or, um, I really, really miss what I love to do, which was my job. And so we still miss that. I yeah. still miss that. I, I'm, I'm,
1: still well, I still miss it too. Yeah. Like, A I don't lot. want to put
0: words in your mouth, but like, we loved what we did. And we hope that, like, if we have the opportunity to be able to get well enough to go back, that'd be great, uh, but that might not be mm-hmm. in the cards for us. And so that's part of coping with it too. And so, uh, yeah, you're so yeah. right that even us having this conversation is an example of the way that the community can just be found in in new spaces and new ways um, when you enter these kind yeah. of health journeys, for sure.
1: Yeah, like you said, you had touched on it earlier on when you can't leave the house Mm -hmm. right it's difficult to stay connected to relationships or other people and for me when i was first um injured and at home like i said i had like five minutes at a time 10 minutes at a time where i could sit up and then i'd have to lay down again because i couldn't um physically hold myself my, Mm. my stature up yeah and so social media provided that um way to share and connect with other people who are also at home or other people, um, in time. It doesn't have to be in real time. That's one great thing about social media is yeah. I can post something at noon and then someone can respond at six or at 11 PM or 2 AM or whatever, um, to connect to what you're doing. And I, I made it, I've always made it a challenge for myself because chronic illness sucks Yeah, and it's really hard. Yep. And I hate toxic positivity, mm-hmm. <laughs> I really do. Like, I don't have to be positive all the time to be a healthy and um, grateful person. Yeah. But finding moments, and people are calling them glimmers these days or sparks of joy. Yeah. Um, moments that, that I am enjoying myself or that I mm. find are beautiful. Yeah. Or... Um, fulfilling. And so making making, um, reels or making videos or relatable things, it it is fun for me. I really like it. And I wish when I was 25, um, there wasn't such a connection on social media. Mm -hmm. People were not openly sharing about illnesses or Mm -hmm. um, invisible disabilities. Mm -hmm. And if I had someone with my similar stuff, like I think back to like, would my life have been different? Would I have found a diagnosis forever ago? Um, and if I can help just one person, Mm. you know, shave six months off or years off when they get a diagnosis because they're informed or they see something that is similar to them and they look into it. That's amazing. Yeah. That is so powerful and so
0: cool. Yeah. And I think, One thing I do want to mention, just like, as for the people who are listening, um, I know somebody who is absolutely Mm -hmm. battling chronic illness. Um, However, they haven't yet found a diagnosis. And so it's not like the diagnosis isn't the end all be all to define how sick you are or are not your symptoms are your symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so like you got to listen to your body and pay attention to those things. Uh, Because I think if you don't pay attention to them, your body will make you. Like it will get so loud that you can no longer ignore it. And so knowing that you were somebody who worked through that for so long, not that I'm sitting here saying that other teachers, if they're experiencing medical issues, that the first step is to leave the field. Like that's not probably your first step. We'll talk about that a little later. But as somebody who has deal dealt with those health issues while in your role in education, What's something that you just wish that you had known sooner?
1: I wish that I knew that contacting HR or communicating through a system that's supposed to support you Mm -hmm. was not a weakness.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: So when I was in my 20s, um, I was having difficulty getting to work on time in the mornings because of my chronic illness and it was suggested to me to meet with hr and come up with a plan because it was related to my disability um and i was terrified and i was Mm -hmm. so worried that this this would be a negative thing that people would see this as a weakness um And in reflecting and looking back, I I spend my life advocating and supporting students and teaching them how to advocate for themselves and how to Mm -hmm. access resources or find ways to help their brain navigate a system that maybe not is compatible, right? Mm -hmm. We help kids do that. And I don't know why I didn't put two and two together that it's okay for me to do those things.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. And so I wish that I knew my rights. Mm -hmm. I wish that I knew that it was not a weakness to contact um, and go through HR. And I really wish that I knew you do not have to disclose anything about your chronic illness, invisible disability, your your disability in any way, to your employer.
0: Hmm. You
1: do not. Yeah. You don't have to have a diagnosis to get accommodations or things like that either. And you had you had said, you know, you don't have to have a diagnosis. You don't have to have a diagnosis to call yourself chronically ill. You do not have to have a diagnosis to call yourself disabled. You do not have a diagnose have to have a diagnosis to access accommodations and to care for yourself
0: Mm -hmm. yes yes absolutely i totally get that and while it's a little different for me i'm currently navigating for the first time returning to grad school and being somebody who now like i spent my entire career like you said giving accommodations and supporting my students and now I have an accommodations letter that I'm sending to all of my professors and realizing that it's, that's okay. And honestly, my experience as a special ed teacher, I think has helped me learn how to accommodate myself. Like I basically take, oh, well this worked really well for that student that one time. I wonder if that would help me with some of my overstimulation or sensory processing issues and things like that. It's such a neat way to kind of draw that parallel of what we do for our students and then starting to apply that same care for them to ourselves. I think that's really, yeah, really, I think it's thought. really important. I agree. I agree.
1: Um, I, I navigated grad school as well. Yeah. Um, and in my journey, I had to learn when to quit, Yeah. which is not something that I did before. Mm -hmm. So I started grad school as a graduate non-matriculated student. Mm -hmm. So even even rewinding, I worked at an outpatient psychiatric school for a number of years and I wanted to get my master's degree. And I knew that working at that extremely demanding job Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with my chronic illness and then adding evening class grad school to that, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I knew I couldn't. So I changed jobs um, and started working in a public school, Mm -hmm. um, closer to home, shorter commute, all these things to make it so that I could attend grad school. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to take one class at a time. Mm -hmm. So I took a class during fall. I took a class during winter as a graduate non-matriculated student. And then I had a huge flare. Hmm. My doctor basically sat me down. She goes, something's got to give, Laura, one of those things that you're doing. Yeah needs to come off your plate. So I had to stop going to grad school.
0: Yeah. Um, it's so hard. And then
1: I had a kid Uh and then I was like, okay, I want to go back. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when I went back and I actually didn't work. Well, I, I did my practicum at the same time, but I wasn't working full-time Yeah, when I went back to full-time school. So I had to figure out how much I could do at once and mm-hmm. what that looked like. Um, and, and having to, I had a plan, man. And I had to quit that plan and find a new one Yeah, because um, it wasn't working. And then when I did go back, I actually sat down with my neurologist and I was like, these are the things I think I need to be able to be successful. Yeah. These are the medicines that support those things for me. Mm
0: -hmm. These are
1: not medicines I want to be on long term. Mm -hmm. Can we do this for a year? Yeah. And then I made a plan around that with her. And I wish I would have known I could have made some plans through the university to Mm -hmm. support me. Um, Whereas I did it on my healthcare end and in my personal life um, on different supports that I arranged and you know, meal planned and did all those other things to make it so that I could do it. But I wish I would have known better how to navigate through the university.
0: Yeah. So like you've talked about making your reels and how that's provided you with community and a creative outlet and all of that wonderful stuff that has really, really benefited you. Um, what role does humor kind of play in that? Because I know that some of your reels have a bit of like a sarcastic, funny, like let's make light of this kind of side to it. What does that kind of look like? Yeah, I
1: like to find humor in pretty much anything. And it is a skill that I developed, I think, in working and behavior. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. it can be a very stressful, intense environment. And if you can't find little moments of joy, or you know, progress that you see in a student, or humor in a situation, then I think you you don't make it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Because it is very heavy and difficult to navigate. I will say though, this one little um, disclaimer is that I did find humor in my work, but I think it is really important that we do not find humor at the expense of our students. Preach that, yes. That we find humor in more global um, things that are happening. Because I do see some people online um, that are using humor or things in behavior at the expense of their student, and I don't think that that's okay.
0: I agree. I think it's possible to both find the so, humor and still respect the dignity of students at the same time. It's not absolutely. an either or, it's a both and, and you can do both. It's it's harder mm-hmm. to do both. It's a fine line. It's a yes. balance that you have to figure out a little bit, and you might not be perfect at it as you figure out that balance, but it's not just one or the other. There, can be that both and of like this is a serious topic and i can still find humor and joy in that and i think that applies to behavior for sure but you've also taken that and applied it to chronic illness too i think it's true for almost any serious topic
1: yeah i think so too and for the chronic illness part when i find humor a lot of it is because it's so absurd, yeah. <laughs> some of the things that we go through, right? And a lot of people who have never had that experience don't know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. And recently, some of the humor that I've been like reflecting on for myself is a lot of the things that I have to engage in are um, for older people. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's hilarious that I have a favorite um, laxative yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's so silly. Like, yeah, I'm 39 and I have a favorite laxative <laughs> or like my bedside table right now looks like I'm 90 years old because of all the things that I have to support me next to my bed. Yeah, um, here's you know, it's just, I, I like to find the little joke, I guess, or the little humor that's yeah. involved.
0: Here, here's a little anecdote. Um, Of just me and my own like accommodating myself and experiences and how that can be kind of funny at times i have some pretty severe light sensitivity i have some visual dysfunction issues related to my injury which brings a lot of light sensitivity with it and other sensory issues too but i wear sunglasses in public a lot and i also have some balance issues and so i sometimes when i was like first starting to go Out to like grocery stores, I'd be walking around in my sunglasses holding my husband's arm. And there would be people that I could just tell by how they were looking at me or how they were like walking around me that they thought I was blind. And I would specifically like wave at them or like say hello, because I don't want to like misrepresent myself. Like I am not a blind person. I highly respect yeah. blind people, yeah. but like, it was just this kind of funny thing of watching their reactions of like, whoa, you can see me? Like, yeah, I can see you just fine. Like, And yeah. you gotta just laugh at it because you can't change it. You can't fix it. So you might as well find some of the joy in it. Yeah. That's great. I love that. So at Happy Class, Laura, we always leave our listeners with some type of homework. So what is your thought on that? A first action step that educators could take to get started with this?
1: So I think that for educators, we often strive for perfection, Mm -hmm. or hope for the appearance of perfection. Yeah, And I think that something that helped me in the very beginning, um, actually not in the beginning, because in the beginning, I wasn't quite ready, is to share authentically when someone asks you, how are you doing, or how are you today? Yeah, And I think it's important to share, just you don't have to do everybody, one person, um, and that morphed for me into, I decided when I was working in behavior and I, you know, all different things, I would show up and someone would say, oh, how are you doing today? And I would share authentically, it doesn't have to be all the details. So I'd say, yeah, today's kind of a rough one for me today. Or someone would ask me and I would say, oh, I, I had injections in my sacrum today. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be moving a little bit slower. Um, I think it's important to find somewhere to be authentic. And I know it's hard to be authentic everywhere in that
0: regard, Mm -hmm. but I think it's important
1: for educators to be able to speak where they're at.
0: I totally agree. Um, And as somebody who very highly values authenticity, like I can't give a fake answer to the how are you doing question. (laughs) It's like against my nature. but i think the more that you do it like you said starting with just one person or starting in just one setting the more you practice authenticity the easier it becomes so i really really love that mm-hmm. as like a true first step because once you pay attention to those things that you're authentically communicating to others that's that really is the gateway to all the other stuff so i think that's a really really great first step to share i love that yeah
1: and I think we often miss um, our experience and elevate our students or the other staff that we are um, in care of, mm-hmm. that their experience be better and that they are taken care of. But I think that sharing authentically gives you permission that your care matters too. Yes. And that we, um, you know, really need to be aware of that. of really filling your, your own cup before you can, you know, fill someone else's.
0: Absolutely. I totally agree. Well, Laura, like I said at the beginning, this is a heavier topic. It's not something that's necessarily fun to talk about, but we make it fun to talk about, right? That's like, yeah, I like
1: talking about it.
0: <laughs> so do I, I know that like, there might be some people listening and they're like, how are these people so open about like their surgeries and you know, their medical stuff and all these things. I, while I do preach vulnerability and I am very honest and authentic and all of that stuff matters to me, I also process things privately first, especially as somebody who is on social media. Um, But uh, I think this is part of setting the example of like, it can be fun to be vulnerable, (laughs) you know, Um, and I think, I think it's powerful. And I, I really hope that there's a lot of people who listen to this and whether or not they're chronically ill that they walk away with something that they can apply to their own life to their own self care to their own self advocacy to their own relationships all of it um so thank you so much for being here uh thank you for having me this was fun yeah this was fun right i told you low key we keep it chill (laughs) around here um but like you said at the beginning um people can find you at my fierce pierce life both on instagram and on TikTok. but that's pierce spelled p-e-a-r-c-e right yes okay yeah. so like i said i'll have that in the show notes um because the stuff that you put out like you said chronic ill chronically ill or not is there is something that I think so many people are going to resonate with and just watching your joy as you go through all of these things I love it now granted I can relate in a lot of ways um but I'm just really excited for other people to connect with you too
1: thank you I'm excited too I building my small community on social media has been really powerful yeah and it actually has really helped me um process and understand so many things Mm -hmm. not only like I am presently going through, but young me and what, like last night I went through my Twitter feed from when I was in my twenties, because that's where I started sharing just a little bit. And it was like, wow, I, I remember being in that space and I'm so thankful for the growth I've gone through, but wow, I wish 20 something year old me had more people to learn from.
0: Well, we'll try to be those people. We will try. We will try. All right. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for joining us today, friend. Be sure to head over to our Instagram at happyclass.pod to connect with me and today's special guest. Also, help a girl out and leave us a review this gets the word out that we are all hashtag more than a teacher. Finally, do you know someone who you think would just be the perfect future guest? Please send me an email to jenny at bravingbsel.com so I can go hit them up. All right, we'll see you next. Happy class.